<laughs> uh, welcome all you. If there's, a, there's still a few seats up here, those of you in the back, we need a bigger room. Um, go ahead and come on up. Jesus, this is a tough scripture. And help us to know what it means. And help us to follow you better. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, I recently read about uh, a professor at Duke University who noticed that right before a test, there was a rash of death among his students' relatives. So they weren't actually dead. They were just students making up excuses to get out of the test. So he did some research, right? And the, 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 the relative most likely to die is grandma. So he did some research, right? Grandmothers are 10 times more likely to die before a midterm and 19 times more likely to die before a final exam. And it's even worse for students who aren't doing well in the class. They're 50 times more likely to lose grandma. It turns out the greatest predictor of senior citizen mortality is their grandkids' grade point average. So the lesson here is grandparents, do not let your grandkids go to college. Now, having taught myself, I know that that is true. Students will make up all kinds of stories to deceive me to get away with something, but I almost always could see through it. And the text, that hard text that uh, Colin just read, really invites us to see through the deceptions of the devil and of our culture. And it talks about two beasts. The first beast is usually called the Antichrist. And then the second beast gets everyone to worship the Antichrist. And this has seeped into popular culture. Even people who don't go to church have heard of the Antichrist and the number 666 and all kinds of speculation over the centuries. You know, who's the Antichrist? You know, Napoleon, Hitler. Some people said Ronald Reagan, Ronald Wilson Reagan. All three have six letters. So, you know, Bill Clinton, just to be bipartisan, right? <laughs> Prince William or Taylor Swift, Although I got to say, that would be a serious letdown, right? Like, really? All that? And it's just Taylor Swift. <laughs> I'd just be so disappointing. <laughs> when I typed the word Antichrist into Google, the first thing that came up was a book called How to Tell If Your Boyfriend is the Antichrist. <laughs> okay, hint. If you have to ask the question... <laughs> Wrong relationship, right? But as I've been saying all along, Revelation is easier to understand than we make it. So here's what you need to know about the Antichrist and the number 666. It isn't seven. 666 is not seven. And in the Bible, seven is the number of perfection and completeness and wholeness because of the seven days of creation. And the number seven is repeated over and over again in Revelation. There are seven churches it's written to, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls of wrath, seven angels, seven lampstands, all associated with Jesus. Seven is the number of Jesus. It's, the, it's about perfection and wholeness and holiness, and 666 ain't seven. It's trying really hard to be seven, it's close to seven, kind of looks like seven, but it ain't no seven. Now, there may be in the future some person who is the actual, the Antichrist, but the Bible talks about also multiple Antichrists. And the text today says the second beast deceived, key word, the inhabitants of the earth to worship the first beast. So Antichrist isn't so much a person, it's the things that seem good. Maybe even in part are good. Maybe even are close to what Jesus can do for us. Just the way 666 is close to 7. But finally, and they may even look like Christ, but they aren't. They are anti 
Christ. It's like counterfeit money. It looks real. It's close to the real thing, like 666 is close to 7, but it isn't. And I think this is actually very clear in the text that 666 is someone trying to be like Jesus, right? Because it says the second beast had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. The lamb is always Jesus in Revelation. So it looks like Christ, but isn't. It says the first beast had a fatal wound, but the wound was healed. Just like kind of an imitation of Jesus' death and resurrection, right? Trying to imitate Jesus. Antichrists are those things that look good, maybe even pretend to be close to Jesus, but they finally aren't. See, the devil never tempts us with something that looks bad. If it looks bad, we're not going to do it. He always tempts us with something that he or our culture makes look good. And, but if we put our ultimate hope in those things, we will be very disappointed. And this text points to two antichrists that all of us are kind of a part of one way or another. And the first is politics. The first beast has crowns on its seven heads, crowns for kings. Kings are political leaders. It's clearly a political leader. And then the second beast is some kind of religious figure who gets everyone to worship the antichrist. Now, that would have been familiar to Christians living in the Roman Empire when this was written because Roman emperors claimed to be gods and demanded worship. So it's ta- the text is talking about the, kind of the conflation of politics and religion, kind of trusting politics more than Jesus to save us. Hardly reflects America today. <laughs> totally not applicable. But as a history lesson, we're going to talk about it. Right? So many people right now, even Christians, liberal and conservative, act as though our ultimate hope is in electing this or that person or enacting this or that law. Now, politics is important, super important. And we need Christians in, in politics. But if we put our ultimate hope there, it's kind of a 666 thing. It looks like it can help us, but we'll be disappointed. And by the way, if you, if you really think that politicians can fix what's wrong in our country, do you have any empirical evidence it's working? Because like just saying, right? Like that's a leap of faith. Yes, it's important to advocate for what's right, right? And get laws and all that stuff. That's really important. Change evil things, slavery, civil rights, something we can all agree on. But even then, even then, those laws were changed because Christians, and it was Christians who did it, Christians like William Wilberforce and Martin Luther King lived differently, sacrificed for their beliefs, and changed the conscience of America. And only then did the laws change. Laws are just a reflection of a culture's values. Laws do not change until the values change. And what changes culture's values isn't shouting and yelling and arguing, right? Nobody said, you know, I really saw this issue differently, but then I saw people on social media mocking and belittling people who thought like me and completely changed my mind. (laughs) Said no one ever, right? The Roman Empire used to have gladiator games where people would kill each other in the arena and the crowds would cheer as they killed each other, right? And we find that very barbaric, although we have emotional gladiator games called reality TV, Right? Where we watch people's emotional lives be slaughtered for our amusement. Well, here's how those uh, gladiator games ended. There was a Christian named Telemachus who was horrified by the gladiator fight. So one day ran into the middle of the arena to t- stop the two gladiators from killing each other. Well, he ended up being killed in the process. And then, the, then uh, as he lay on the ground, a few people got up in disgust and left. And then pretty soon, you know, others left and pretty soon almost everyone had left the Colosseum. 
And that started a process in Rome that very quickly ended the gladiator games. Now you might say, well, that kind of sucks. He died. Yeah, but he went to heaven where there's perfect joy and changed the whole culture in the process. Because he lived differently. He did what politics actually cannot do, changed a culture, and then the laws changed. Politics is a 666. It pretends to be all-powerful, but only Jesus is all-powerful. Politics pretends to be like Jesus, all-powerful, but it isn't. It's like the guys I see in my gym posing in front of mirrors, right? Flexing. I'm so ripped. Right? Super embarrassing when I get caught. <laughs> This happened. Politics is a poser, right? Pretending to be strong. Jesus, Jesus is Lord. Hallelujah. Not politics. Second antichrist that we get caught up in is money and possessions. The text says that the second beast forced all people to receive a mark on their right hands and on their foreheads so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark. Lots of speculation about this over the years. Mark of the beast, maybe it's barcodes on the things we buy. Maybe it's social security numbers. Stop. Stop. No, back then, slaves had marks on their wrists and forehead. So the mark of the beast is a mark that shows we've become enslaved to money and the economic systems we're part of. So if we're asked to do something unethical at work, but we don't do it because we're afraid to lose our, but we do it, the unethical thing, because we're afraid to lose our job, that's a 666 moment. We trust our job more than Jesus to provide for us. The commercials we see that sell us the idea that if, if we buy that, that car or those jeans that, you know, everyone's going to like us. False security. If they like you because of your clothes, you're always going to wonder, is it just me or is it my fabulous outfit? Right? Now, these are all good things, right? Job is a good thing. Clothes are good things. All that. But they aren't Jesus. And if our ultimate hope for happiness is in them, we're going to be really disappointed. <clears throat> Pastor Alexis uh, told me a story about a man in New Hope Revival who had a job in Kent, but he didn't have a car and he didn't have a driver's license. So his commute by bus took four hours each way. And this was just wrecking his family. So one Sunday in New Hope, Alexis asked this man to come forward, get prayed for by the community, you know, trusting that God has many ways to solve problems. And so New Hope prayed for him, right? Well, shortly after that, Alexis learned about a woman, another woman in New Hope Revival, who was wanting to sell her car. And Alexis said, would you sell it to this guy who needs it, even though he can't pay you all at once? And she agreed. So Alexis drove this car to this, this, this man's workplace, gave him the keys. You know, he started to cry told his wife she started to cry, right? Now, you might be wondering, well, how could having a car help a guy that doesn't have a driver's license? Well, Alexis was so convinced that God was going to answer this prayer that he had been given this guy driving lessons because you never know when God's going to give you the car, right? You've got to be ready. And so just the day before Alexis gave him the car, this guy had gotten his license. Alexis said to me, Scott, the prayers of God's people are never a waste of time. Amen. They are not. Now, what I love about that story is where they put their ultimate hope. I think, you know, me, I might have been tempted to kind of come up with all kinds of plans about how to get a car and all that, and that's fine, that's good. But their ultimate hope was in Jesus. Not a pseudo-Christ, not a fake Christ, the real Christ. All around us, every day, there are six, six, sixes that look good, in some ways are good, but if we put our ultimate hope in them, they're going to let us down. 
A while back, our, uh, our youth leaders did an exercise with some of our students, some as young as 11, and asked them to write down the lies that they sometimes believe about themselves and then the truth about themselves that God tells them. And there are a lot of common themes that emerge. So, you know, parents, don't be asking your kids if they wrote this. Or, you know, I've kind of generalized these comments, but here's some of what they wrote. I'm a disappointment to others. I'm a mistake. Ugly, not needed, weak, ignored, not good enough, bad student, too small, too slow, too fat, you will amount to nothing. Now, I think in most cases, parents are actually loving their kids, doing a good job of that. But our culture, man, our culture is doing this not just to them. They're just brave enough to admit it. It's doing to all of us, right? And here's the thing. All of those things that make us feel that way are presented as good, right? Pictures of beautiful celebrities. That's not bad, right? Look, they're beautiful. Well, here's the thing. Those pictures have been photoshopped to death, and those people don't actually look that good because nobody actually looks that good. Makes all of us feel ugly, right? But it's presented as good. An out-of-control culture of achievement. That's good, right? You want to go to Harvard, that's good, right? Well, maybe. But it also sends the message, if you don't go to Harvard, that you failed. Now, the good news is they were also able to write down what God said about them, so they got a positive message. But all this stuff masquerades as good, and some of it is good. God is not anti-success. God is not anti-Harvard. He likes Stanford a little better, but he's not (laughs) anti-Harvard. Obviously, right? But if that's what we're basing our happiness on, we're going to be disappointed. One Christmas when our kids were re- really little, uh, my wife and I took them to ride this thing called the Santa train. And it's advertised as this really fun thing. They get to ride a train, eat cookies, meet Santa, all that. Well, when we got there, it was pouring down rain. And somehow we'd left our daughter's shoes at home. So I put plastic bags over her socks for shoes, right? We hauled our three wet, tired, cold, crying kids right to the train. You know, hurry up, kids. We got to go have fun now. (laughs) Train was crowded. It was hot. By the time they got to Santa, all the kids were crying, right? So this thing that was advertised as fun turned out to be miserable. And it was then that my wife and I realized that if you rearrange the letters of the word Santa, it spells Satan. (laughs) It's true. And so now we refer to it as the Satan train. (laughs) It was a total 666. Looked so good, but it was Satan. (laughs) So how do we break through these deceptions? How do we break through the lies and deceptions of our culture and the 666s? Well, the first is be honest with yourself. Ask this question. Judging by how I spend my time, money, energy, and by what I worry about and get excited about, Judging by those things, what am I really trusting in? Second, the Holy Spirit. Pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help you discern 666, even if it looks close to Jesus, it may not be. So ask ask the Holy Spirit to help. Third, we need to know the Bible. The way they train people to spot counterfeit money isn't by showing them counterfeits. It's by becoming so familiar with the real money that they will immediately spot anything that doesn't match the real thing, no matter how close it comes. The 666s of our lives can often come close to that perfect seven, look like that perfect seven. And it's only by getting familiar with who God really is and what God really promises that we can discern the 666 from the true good. So know the Bible. We've got a library that can help you with that. We've got Bible studies. Get a study Bible with good notes. Fourth, worship what you're doing now. 
Because in worship, we are reminded of who God really is. In worship, we push back on the thousands of messages in media and office conversations and at schools and in classrooms that argue that politics or beauty or popularity or money is what's going to make us secure. Worship is where we push back on all those 666s and say, you're not seven. You're not fooling me. Fifth, we need community. We need other people to say, hey, here's what's really worth it and here's what's not. Six, unmask the lies. Just when there's some kind of 666 we're tempted with, just, put, just say, this is a lie. Just say it out loud. I rebuke this lie. It is from the devil. Jesus, you are my hope. Now, in the original version of my sermon, the list stopped there, but my sermon review team said perhaps six for this. <laughs> Maybe it's not what you need, Scott. They had a point. So here's a perfect seven. Remember, Jesus is stronger. He is stronger. He is better. Then all of those 666s, he is better. He brings a harder way, but a better, deeper, richer way. I saw this so clearly at my dad's funeral. When I was growing up, my dad pursued a lot of 666s, good things, but he, was, but he was living for them, like recognition, he really needed it, money, we didn't have a ton of it, so it was always a worry. But in his 50s, he started to follow Jesus, and the last part of his life, his back nine, man, were amazing. They were amazing. In his job as a teacher and a track coach, he focused not just on teaching or coaching, but on changing lives. One of his former students told us that, that my dad really changed her life because after her first track meet, she asked, where's my participation trophy? And my dad just snickered and said, you're not going to get one of those here. You're going to earn one because you can. And no one had ever said that to her, and she said it gave her confidence she'd never had. My dad helped prisoners get their high school degrees so out of prison they could get a job. He led a Bible study in prisons into his 80s. Whenever he'd talk about his prisoners, he'd start to cry because he just loved them so much. He mentored little kids. So at his funeral, nobody talked about how many degrees he had, though he had some. And nobody talked about how successful he was in his career, though he was. The church was packed because he had changed so many people's lives. The warden of the jail where he tutored came carrying the thanks of dozens and dozens of prisoners who were so grateful to my dad. Former students and athletes there's a ton of laughter at my dad's expense because that's what he wanted. And even some of you, some people from this church came. I, I don't even know how they knew wh where and when it was because I didn't post the service time anywhere. Some of them Googled it, right? It made me feel so loved that people from this church would drive three hours each way to eastern Washington to attend a funeral for a man they had never met before. But if I've ever been helpful as your pastor, you know, my dad, you can thank him. Pastor Alexis came. So during the whole memorial service, you could hear in my parents' very non-emotional Presbyterian church. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. That had never happened in that church before. <laughs> Now, here's my point. All of that was not because of the pseudo-Christs, the 666s that he followed. 
Now, he didn't do it perfectly. Like, like all of us, he was attracted and distracted by the 666s in our world and in our lives. But in the main, for the last part of his life, he mostly pursued the real thing. And it cost him time. It cost him money. For a man who liked the spotlight, a lot of that, he didn't get any attention for it. But in return, he got great relationships, a sense of making a difference, and a deep connection to God. The three things that every happiness study ever done says brings lasting joy. Politics can't do that for you. Money don't get you there. Acceptance based on performance, none of these things get you to that. So what are the 666s that you maybe are over, overly focused on? And what are the real things that you're missing out on? Because here's the, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can unmask the lies of the Antichrist around us and live for the true, real thing. And say, I see you there, 666, trying to be seven. Oh, I see you there, 666, trying to round yourself up to seven, right? You ain't fooling me. I've experienced seven. I've walked with seven. I speak with seven. I know the name of seven personally, and his name is Jesus in 666. You ain't no seven. Politics isn't Lord. Money isn't Lord. Success isn't Lord. Knowledge isn't Lord. Beauty isn't Lord. Prestige isn't Lord. Jesus is Lord. And only he, only he can give us abundant life. Harder for sure, but real life. Pressed down, heaped up, piled high, overflowing the measure of life. Because Jesus, and only Jesus never fails. Only Jesus never falters. Only Jesus never runs out, never runs dry, never runs away. So 666, go back to hell where you came from. I'm doubling down on Jesus. He's my king. He's my Lord. Because Jesus, and only Jesus, saves. So Jesus, we give you our lives and we ask, Holy Spirit, unmask the things that pose as good and as you, that we can be fooled by Holy Spirit. We know with you, they will fool us no more. So Jesus, help our hearts to be submitted to you and help our eyes to be only on you and help us to live only for you. In your name, Jesus. Amen.